There we go. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you guys that are here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Real quick, before we get started, so I just want to say a thank you, first of all, to all of you who are being patient with us as we grow. Um, so we're still trying to get figured out how to be able to get everybody in and the capacity um, as more people are coming. So just in the future, be thinking about, you know, the idea of maybe sitting closer to the front. You know, if you're somebody that comes, come early, there's always seats in the front that, that you can find. Scooting to the middle, um, whatever we can do, being patient with us as we grow so that as people can come in, we can welcome first-time guests. All right, so with that being said, if you're joining us uh, online for the first time or you're here for the first time, it's great to have you here, but I want to catch you up just a little bit on what we're doing and what we're talking about. So we're in a series called Original Design. I'm going to try to recap it like really quick, but there's a lot that goes into it. So just so you know, this series builds upon um, the past uh, messages that we've been doing. So if you're new or you're new online, think about this. You could go onto our app and or go to our website and you can watch all of the previous messages. That way it gives you some sort of a context of what we're talking about and what it looks like uh, from there. But I'll give you a, a short intro into it. So original design was, was uh, talked about or put together with this in mind. In the world, this is something all of us know. When something is designed and we use it in the way that it's designed, most of the time it will last a pretty long time, right? Like use a tool in the way that it's designed, that tool usually lasts and never break. Take a bar and put it on a tool. Any guys in here? Right, like put that great big long bar on that wrench. It tends to break, right? Because it wasn't designed to have a breaker bar on top of the wrench. Like we, we get those things. So the idea is in, in our human world, we all know this, you know, and as mechanics, you especially know this. Like if you work on a vehicle, there's times you're like, who's the idiot that designed this? Right, because you go to work on it and you can't get to it, and we're like, who sat in an office and thought this was a good idea? Right, so we know that. So we know in the human realm, people can make mistakes and the design doesn't work, and sometimes we can make the design better. Like we just know that. But what we have to land on for this series to make sense is this: if God designed it, it shouldn't be messed with. Right. So if God had a design for man and a design for woman. We shouldn't mess with that design. And if we operate inside of it, we as men and women will do the things that God's created us to do, and we will not only do it, we'll be effective, okay? So we have to land on that because I think part of the problem of this series making any sense to anybody is, is like, well, I heard what you said about men, and I heard what you said about women, but you know how far away we are from that? Nobody felt that way. Like, I felt that way. Like, we're so far away from where we need to be. So what we tend to do is redesign it to work for us, right? Like, we tend to say, okay, in modern culture, let's make men this and women this and just make it work. So we're not clear out on the edges, but now we're right here, which takes out the factor that you're going to need the most if you really want this to work, right? That's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If you go clear out here and say this is the way it's designed and you realize how far away you are from it, then one of the things you're going to realize is you need Jesus to get back, right? Like you need the Holy Spirit to work inside of you to be able to move to the place that God's called you to go to. The other thing that you need to realize is, is do you know that we just didn't get here overnight? So we're not living outside of design overnight, right? We didn't make one decision and all of a sudden men and women are living outside of their design. When we do it, it's a slow fade. Can anybody relate? You know what I mean? Like I made one decision and then another decision and then another decision. And then pretty soon you're over here and you're like, how did I ever get over here? Well, it was a, a culmination of 10, 15, 20, 30 decisions that you just had this slow fade. And now you're sitting here and you're like, what the world happened? But know this, you got into it in a slow fade, but you're not getting out of it on a casual walk. Does that make sense? So like you got into it over a culmination of 15 or 20 decisions in your life, but if you want to get back to the design that God's called you to get back to, you're going to have to make some drastic decisions. Like you're going to have to make some decisions in your life 
that are going to cost you something, that are going to be like, there's no way we can do it, and the only way that we can do it is through the Holy Spirit, right? So that's where I wanted us to land. Original design, he designed it, let's not try to change it. Now, real quick, for a man, how did he design us? We're supposed to be the head, right? So for a man, this is what headship looks like. Headship means you're going to cultivate environments for things to be fruitful, right? So he was in the garden. His responsibility was uh, cultivate the, the, the ground, cultivate, you know, the trees and make them available to be able to produce fruit. So for a man, our responsibility for the people that are in our circle, our wives, our family, or anybody that you have influence on, you should be cultivating ground so that you, the people around you can produce fruit. Does that make sense? Right? You gotta do whatever it is. That could be different for different families, but you need to be able to produce fruit. The other thing that you need to know is the enemy is gonna try to destroy what you've built up. So the number one responsibility for a man outside of cultivating is you better protect. Because if you're not protecting the trees that are bearing fruit, just so you know, Satan's coming to destroy it. He was very clear, it didn't hide it. Like there was no hidden agenda. Satan says, I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. Man's job, protect it. Stand in the gap. Don't let anybody in. What's a woman's responsibility? How were they designed? We said last week that they were designed to be the helper, right? So that God created man, gave him responsibility. And as a wife, you were created to help, right? And that, again, we talked about multiple different ways that that could be. But in this, understand that it's not a value thing. Because you know the reason that man needs a helper? Because it's not good for man to be alone. Like, we're missing something. Like, there's something that a woman could do. And again, talk to any man, whether it's his mother or his wife. This is what they'll tell you. Behind every great man is a great woman, right? Could be your mom or it could be your wife, but it's really true. If you recognize this, that a man is only complete when a wife helps complete him or a mom or a woman helps complete him, just recognizing we have things that, that we need from you to be able to do the things God's called us to do, right? We just, we have to have that in our own life. So a woman called to be a helper and being able to operate outside or inside of that help. Now, we asked the same question when we got done with men. So we did men's design and then we said men's hurdles. And one of the biggest questions are, well, where's all these men, right? Because a lot of the women were saying, where are all these men? Like, if they're designed this way, why can't we find any of them? Why isn't my husband one of them? You know, why isn't the person around me that way? Well, we said the reason is, is there's hurdles, and we talked about the hurdles. So I think we got to ask the same question. Where are all the good women? Right? Like, where are the women that are okay operating inside of the design which God created? Right? What it means to be able to operate in a way that God designed a woman to operate. Where are all of those women today? Well, it's the same concept. Hurdles, sin, culture, like things that are keeping them from being able to live out the design that God's called them to live out. Now, here's where I want you to turn, Genesis 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16, and in this, know this from the beginning, and it will save you time of emailing me um, or texting me, not that I mind that, but I, but I know that in this room, there are multiple different situations represented right? People that are in different scenarios and different relationships that have went through different things. So I said in every one of the series that we do, we're going to talk about the ideal, but here's what I know. The ideal is not always present. True? Like we're going to talk about, here's the design, here's what God says, here's what the ideal is, but what we need to recognize when the ideal isn't present, grace abounds, right? So when it's not ideal, Grace will abound. God does things that only he can do when the ideal isn't present, but it doesn't mean we can't talk about the ideal, right? So we're gonna dive into what is it for women that are their hurdles that keep them from being able to live out the design that God's called them to live out. So Genesis 3, starting in verse one, here's what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, 
There's the first thing that I want to make sure we talk about. So Genesis 2 was design. Genesis 3 is the fall. Now, when you're reading it, it seems like it was really close together. You know what I mean? Like you're reading the Bible and you read about the design and you're like, well, Eve's created and she screwed up within 10 minutes. Right? Didn't even take her 10 minutes, you know, to let sin into the world. Like, that's what it seems like, right? It seems like it's really close together. I'm going to argue, based upon what I've read and the commentaries and, and what I believe by the whole of Scripture, that there had been a significant amount of time that had went on before they chose to sin, right? That there's a significant amount of time that they were operating inside of the design, right? And I think... If we look at how we act, because, you know, we're, we're products of Adam and Eve, they just didn't all of a sudden make a decision that would change the entire world. That over time, Adam and Eve working out their design in the wrong way, fading away from the thing that God created them to be, even with God in the garden, led to what you see in Genesis 3, the slow fade. Right? The things that, that uh, triggered into it sin entering the world. Now, the one thing that you're going to see in Genesis 3 that I think we need to be aware of, do you think it's interesting, do any of you think it's interesting that you never see recorded in the Bible, and I'm one who would say if God wanted us to know it, he would probably put it out there. Right? Like if he had wanted it in the Bible, then he would have put it in there. Do you think it's interesting that there's no record of the serpent trying to tempt the man? You think that's interesting? Like there is no record that would say, oh, it came in. Because if it was relevant, I'm a believer that scripture would put it down. Like if we needed to learn from it, I believe that scripture would put it in there. So I'm just gonna assume, right, based upon what I'm reading, that Satan never tried to tempt the man, right? That it was always Satan trying to tempt the woman. And my guess is most of the times that led up to this was without Adam around. Here's the reason I'm going to tell you that, and this is why I think this is so important. For, for women to understand today, you have got to land on something. Are you okay that you are designed different than a man? Like this hat, you have to be okay with this because if you're not okay with this, everything else I'm going to talk about today is not going to make any sense because the design was very specific for a reason, right? So I think we would all agree on this. Physically, and mentally, men and women were created significantly different. Please, yes, right, yeah, different. A man, physically and mentally, created different for a very specific reason. Just real quick, why did he create a man more physical and different in his, in his brain function than a woman? Because his design. What's he called to do? Protect. Right? A man's job is to stand in the gap and protect, right? And a man's job, by the way that they're designed, because this is what we all know about men. This is what I know about myself. So I'm pretty sure it's all of you guys too. Here's how a man thinks. Yes, no. <laughs> One drawer at a time, guys, right? Like, it's pretty simple. I don't know what's so hard about this. Yes, good decision, bad decision. You ask a question, I'm not going to give you a lot. It's this, right? It's one drawer open, one drawer closed, one drawer open, one drawer closed. Because we're designed to operate in that way because God knew for us to lead and be the head, we couldn't be like women. Because you know how women think, right? 25 drawers open at once. Right, And there's something going on in every one of those drawers, and they got a handle on all of it. Yes? And you know why? Because God designed them. Like, women have to handle a bunch. Men are just like, yes, no. Go to work, don't go to work. Women are like, I got to run the house, keep the kids together, make sure there's food on the table, multitask in all these different areas, make sure the laundry's done. You know what I mean? Like, lots of things going on. God designed them so that their brain could have 5,000 ideas going on and make it all work. Design, right? He knew that to be able to compliment a man who is one drawer at a time, she had to have a, a mind that worked that way. He also knew, right? And you got to think about this. He also knew that the way that he designed you, 
right? And not being the protector and not being the head was for a reason. Watch it. How, how men and women treat their kids is completely different, right? I'll just give you an example. Brady was a sixth grader. I was coaching for the Powell football team, coaching the Raiders. We had not been beat yet. We were going to win the championship, okay? So Brady is our running back, doing a pretty good job, breaks his collarbone, you know? And so he comes to the sideline. He's like, Dad, I'm like, listen, we only have one quarter left. <laughs> one quarter. Like, those things don't puncture your lung. Like, they're way up there. It can't get any worse, right? Like, it just can't get any worse. Like, that bone ain't going nowhere except out of your skin, and then they just stitch it back up. Like, it's not that big a deal. I'm like, so can you go back in? Like, we need to win. And Brady was like, he starts crying. I'm like, okay, go sit on the bench. We're still going to try to win without you, right? So he's sitting on the bench by himself over there. You know, I'm thinking he's being a baby. How bad could it be? You broke your collarbone, right? So I'm like, he's over there crying, and I'm, and Sherry's not here, so ain't nobody taking care of him, right? So I'm just coaching. I'm like, we'll deal with it at the end of the game. We're trying to win. Pretty soon, one of the parent moms shows up, and guess what? Brady knew how to play it. I can barely breathe. I'm not going to be able to make it. You know what I mean? Like he was dying. Well, what's the natural instinct of every mother? You got to take care of them, right? I got to go out there. I got to help. She comes marching to the sidelines, taps me on the shoulder. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He'll be okay. He's going into shock. I'm like, he ain't going into shock. It's a collarbone for crying out loud. You see what I'm saying? Like there is a completely different way of the way men and women were designed. Women are very nurturing. They're very good at taking care of. They're the ones that do need to step in. And you know, every once in a while, they do need kicked in the butt. Right? Sometimes they are being a baby. Sometimes they are out of line. It's a good offset, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So here's what I want you to see. So anytime, as a woman, that you try to become a man, you put yourself in a position that Satan's going to tear you apart. Does that make sense? When you try, and I say become a man, maybe I said it wrong. So like anytime you try to take the place of a man, is that better? Like you try to take the place of the man. So when you try to stand in the gap, when you try to do the things physically and emotionally and mentally that a man was created to do, what you're setting yourself up for is because you're not protected against and you're open for is the, the temptation and the what Satan's trying to do, steal, kill, and destroy. You're open to it like a man isn't. That's why you saw him going, well, you know, did you ever think about eating the apple? It's really not that big a deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could die. And she, because of her brain, is going to be what? Oh, yeah, maybe. Good. Look at all these different options. Like, all these things. Knowing that you're going to be open to those things. So we, women, you have got to recognize this. I already know you can do it. I know you can do physically what a man can do. I already know you can do the things that a guy, I already know that. That's not a question. The question never was, can you do it or not do it? The question is, are you gonna set yourself up for Satan to get a foothold in your family and your life? That's the question, right? By doing it, by stepping in, by disordering design, because that's what happens, you're disordering the design, right? Like you're getting it out of order. When you disorder design, Satan can do what he can only do when it's out of order. When it's in order, a man's doing his job and a wife is where she's supposed to be, it says Satan has no place, no authority, no, and like it can't be, right? When the things are working right, but when it gets out of order, he can do things that only can do when it's out of order, right? So here's what we need to process, women, just for a second. Are you okay because right, this is what scripture says, and I know you're not okay with it, or maybe most of you are not okay with it, or a few. Are you okay when Peter says that the woman is the weaker vessel and it's actually a beautiful thing? Because if you're not okay with it, then this doesn't work. 
right? Because being a weaker vessel doesn't mean you're of less value. It just means that God designed you. And when you carry out your role in doing what God has called you to do, because of the way that you're designed, you're going to be way more effective. It wasn't weaker from the standpoint of productivity. It was just it's different physically and you're different mentally. So physically and mentally, you're open to things that, you wouldn't, that a man isn't open to, right? So you got to recognize, are we okay with that design? And is that going to be something that uh, you can live with? Because if you can, right, if you can live with those things, then now we can start working on what are your biggest hurdles? Because I still think the biggest hurdle for a woman is being okay with the way you were designed. Because culture isn't, right? Culture's not okay with what God said about a woman. So it's a constant fight. Moms, when you're teaching your daughters and your daughters go tell somebody, do you know how well that's going over? Not very well, right? Because that's not accepted in any of our culture today for a woman to live out or to live inside of her design. So let's go back to Genesis so go back to Genesis uh, 3, and we'll keep reading. And we'll address the hurdle. So it says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Again, disordered, you know, uh, desires inside of this. So her desire got disordered. And when it did, and Adam wasn't there to say, that's not a good idea, or he was there and he said nothing, this is what happened. So she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Again, blaming, just like the man did. And I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, so here's how the curse, because they lived outside of the design, here's the curse. Cursed are you, this is for the snake or the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals who crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between the, uh, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, so this is the curse, right? So this is what we're going to look at today, the hurdle. He says, I'll make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and this is the other part of the curse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So I think it's pretty obvious, you know, the first one, it's going to multiply your pain in childbirth. Obviously, I've never had a child, but I'm assuming it's pretty painful, right? So that's a given, right, that having kids is going to be painful. There's a way to do without the pain. There's this beauty of, you know, there's pain in childbirth, but then there's a child, right, that, it, that it's sin and grace at the same time. You know what I mean? That's the picture he's trying to give you is, yes, multiply your pain in childbirth, but then once the the child comes out, I mean, you probably forget about some of the pain, right, when you see it. So that's what he's given you is, yes, there is a punishment, but with every punishment, there also is grace, right? And that's beautiful, right? But then he goes and says, now, here's something you're going to deal with all the time outside of childbearing. Your desire is going to be for who? Come on, we got to talk, because this last service, everybody was like, and I'm like, yeah, for your man. So the desire, all women are going to have a desire for a man, right? Like, to complete them. They're going to have this desire of a man to protect them. They're going to have a desire for a man to to, uh, give them security, right? That a man is going to give them all of those things, right? That's going to be their desire, but there's going to be a problem. What's the problem going to be? He's going to do what? rule. 
So here again, just real quickly, like we're not on the man part of it, but I want you to hear this. A woman in her desire will always have this. She wants a man that will protect her, take care of her, and give her security. Okay, that's down deep in every woman. But because men chose not to do what God called them to do, right, and left them unprotected, do you see this? And didn't give them security, women have been on a mission since then to get independence and take care of themselves. Right, like that's it. But down deep inside of every woman is still this desire to be taken care of or this desire for security, right? Like that's something that's deep within every one of the women. Now, what's gonna be the hurdle? So knowing that inside of you is this desire to always have a man complete you, what are gonna be the hurdles that are gonna get in the way? Well, here's what I want you to see. Here's where I think the hurdle is if you put it in a broad perspective. Because men over time have not done their job of doing this and it's been out of order, women are always wrongly searching for their identity. So identity is the issue, right? So the thing that women continue to struggle with is this sense of if I can't find identity where I was supposed to find it, I'm going to try to find it somewhere else, right? Like I'm going to try to find my identity because here's what we know. For a young, so, so for young ladies, listen for a second. The first thing that you should seek before seeking your identity in anything else is your identity in Christ. That's the first thing. Because I know for, you know, men have some of these struggles, but you know the identity crisis is going on in young ladies today? It's a crisis. You know why suicide has went up so much over the past 10 years? Because this identity crisis has been multiplied with the invention of a phone. Right? Like it's been multiplied because now your identity isn't just connected to the five people you know. Right? It's not this small circle anymore. It's this huge wide circle. And girls, because they don't have their identity first in Jesus and they're seeking it out in destructive ways, they're ending up doing things that are very destructive. Right? But identity is an issue, and we have to figure out how we're going to be able to first seek it out or seek it in the Lord. Like, you got to be okay with my identity is found in Jesus. Here's the next thing. Back to, you know, where I was talking about, like, and you got to be okay with your identity based upon your design because this is the next harder part. Because I think you would all agree, i got to find my identity in Jesus, right? But that's, but you know the next place you've got to find your identity is through helping a man. Right? Like that's what scripture says is your identity will be in helping a man, your son, your husband, whatever that looks like, and helping them become what they can't be without you. And when they become what God designed them to be, God celebrating not just what he did, but what you did. Because he wouldn't have got there without you. Now that's hard, right? Because it feels like you're in the back seat. And did anybody notice me? The one that matters most did, and it's God. The one that matters in the end saw what you did, and you will be rewarded even if this world won't reward you. You will be rewarded. and When you meet Jesus, you will be rewarded the way that you deserve because you chose to live in that way. Now, again, how is it then? Let's talk about, because we know that when there is an identity crisis inside of a woman, you know, I always say, like, women are crazy. If you've heard me say that before. I'm just saying. Sometimes women are a little crazy. Maybe a different word. Highly emotional, hard to understand. They tell you that they want you to do one thing, but they really don't want you to do that. Okay. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like, Huh? I know, that was my point. Like, they're like, you should know. And we're, guys are like, what? I don't know. Like, it, I, I can't figure it out. But the women are like, I don't know what's wrong with you. So whatever that word is. So if crazy was bad. Well, part of that problem is, is because the whole identity thing gets out of order, right? So when we, when we don't understand how to go in identity in the right direction, we chase it in wrong directions, and then it leads to things that are not healthy. 
Is that a better way to say it? Now, what's the first thing when it comes to a hurdle that is an identity thing for women? Here's, and again, these are the things that I think based upon what I've seen. Here's the first one. Competing for identity by competing for attention, right? So the idea of that the way that we find identity is by who will give us attention, right? So your identity is made up by the one that gives you the most attention. Does that make sense, right? That that's where the identity, and I've said this all the time. Think about this just for a second. Again, so, so this isn't about guys or being hard on guys, but I want you to understand. So if you're telling your daughters, um, like, listen, you need to find your identity, identity in their father, you know, Father God, Jesus, if you're saying, you know, you need to find your identity, you know, these young ladies are trying and they're reading and they're like, I just don't understand. I don't really get it. I don't know what to do. You know where they look next? To the father for their identity because the first love of every daughter should be their father. And when he is absent, okay, just hear me say this. Girls, I want you to hear this. Because your response also matters. When the father is absent from loving his daughter and allowing her to understand her identity in Jesus and that she's beautiful and that she's good and that she is noticed by her father, she will unhealthily go out and find it in the first guy at school that will give him attention. Right? Like whoever turns their head, like girls know this. I think you know this, right? What you wear subliminally is because you want to get somebody to turn their head. Is it true? It's true, right? Like you're putting on something because attention matters to you because your identity is found in how much attention you can get. Now that, again, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Right, it's not supposed to be that way. I'm talking about hurdles right now, right? So the hurdle is when when it's offset and we can't find our identity in Christ and we can't be fulfilled, like we only need the attention. So even when we're not getting it, because that's the next thing that we need to talk about. Because you know, dads, I want you to hear this for a second. If you're not giving your daughter the attention she needs, she will find it somewhere else. Whoever is going to be that one that's going to make them feel beautiful, make them feel important, make them feel. And so they're out there searching on the internet for who that guy is going to be. Right? Regardless of how destructive that's going to be, they're out there looking for it. And you know what happens? They go out there and, and you know what they find out? You know why they got the attention? Because then they have to perform. And then if they don't perform, then all of a sudden they're not good again. Is that real at all? Right? Like you have this guy who he turned his head, but you know why he turned his head? It wasn't because of your inner beauty. <laughs> now, it might have been. Might have been. Usually is not, right? It's usually physical beauty. There's usually something behind that. And so, again, then they find themselves crushed because their identity was found in this boy that gave them all of this attention. Then all of a sudden, the attention goes away and they don't know what to do. Right? So identity and attention. But the same thing is inside of our homes, right? Guys, think about this for a second. Part of what's unhealthy inside of the home is your wife wants your attention too. Like she's finding her identity in whether or not you're giving her any attention. And you know, for guys, sometimes we're not that good at that. Right? Like we don't always get that. And so the problem becomes, right? And we're gonna talk about this here in a little bit. So the problem becomes is, in a woman, attention, you know, uh, breeds identity, like whoever gives them the most attention makes them feel the most important, and they find their identity, right? And, and it usually goes to that. So when a man is not giving attention in the home, right? And again, now, for a godly woman, they would be like, okay, I'm not going to get my attention from anybody else. If my husband's not going to give it to me, what would a godly woman do? Seek it from the Lord, right? And she would just have a marriage that's not fulfilled, True, right? Just have a marriage that's not fulfilled. But when it's not, and we're living out of the sinful, which is what we're talking about, the hurdles, you know what happens when you don't, when you don't give your wife attention at home? You know where she goes? She finds attention from whoever is out there that's gonna turn their head. Right? 
Like they're going to find attention. They're going to, they're going to go out there. If you're not giving them attention, they're going to do this because this is something that's inside of them, right? Finding identity. It's part of one of their hurdles is the identity based upon giving attention because done in a godly way, if you give your daughters attention, if you date your daughters and you make them feel beautiful, they don't have to be all of these, God, you know, all these crazy boys. Like they can come back and know, you know what? Even if that boy's not, I have a dad. Who loves me? A dad who knows I'm beautiful. A dad that's okay with who I am, right? A dad that will point me in the right direction. Like they, they need that. They can come back to that. Same thing, you know, for, for husbands, we need to be that for our wives so they don't have to go out and find it somewhere else, right? So as wives, you're gonna be seeking this. That's one, gonna be one of the hurdles, right? Is, is that you're gonna compete uh, for identity. Here's the other one, is you're gonna compete for identity by comparison or comparing yourself to other things or other people, right? So comparison, I believe, inside of the life of a woman becomes difficult. Like part of their identity is found by comparing themselves and wanting what somebody else has, right? Like comparing, you know, just as an example, here, here's one of them. And again, some of these things that I'm saying I think could be true, like I said it in the first service and everybody's like, so I don't know if this is true, but I think it's true. How do, how do women compare for identity, even though that when they're looking to compare, what they're comparing is, is different than their own personal identity, but they get it out of what they're comparing. So as an example, I think for women, sometimes they compare their kids, right? That there's like this idea of you, like women sit in a circle and they, like, they say it, but it, there's a subliminal message behind it. Like, who's your kid dating? Oh, your kid isn't dating anybody? My kid's dating. Do you know his family? You know, his family's really good, her family. You know what I mean? There's like this, hey, look at what my son is doing. What's wrong with your loser son? No, no. You, that's not right? No comparison in dating? Okay. How about this? You, you compare your kids when it comes to athletics. That one better, right? Like, again, what we're saying is right. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your child. We got that, right? Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't say, look, my kid scored, my kid did, my kid. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, remember that we're living in a world right now where if your kid's not at the top, he's not relevant. That's why they offer travel athletics for five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds. True? And again, I'm not against any of these things. You hear what I'm saying, right? But if we do it because we have to continue to elevate our child to be able to be in the place that they need to be, sometimes that gets out of line, right? Sometimes that's not the place, you know, that it needs to be. Or again, maybe this is the one you'll hate me for. Why would a girl this tall, little girl, be wearing that much makeup? And you're like, oh, but he just, she just looks so cute in all of her bows. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe you don't care that you're saying, but look at her. She's way better than yours, right? Like maybe that's not what you're thinking, but I'm still trying to think, then why would you do that? Like that looks like a lot of work to be able to go through all those things. So comparison when it comes to, you know, children or comparison when it comes to, you know, the, the different things your kid's doing. Because I want you to hear this, James 4, 1 through 2, what comparison can do. Right, or how that works its way out. James 4, 1 through 2 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desires that you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight and you do not have because you do not ask. Now listen, this is obviously a verse for all people, but let's just put it in the context. What does a woman desire? Identity, right? So she has this, like, finding her identity in these things. And so when we're talking about comparison, and when we look at it, we're looking at it in a way that would say, oh, like, when this is off, you know, I want something other than what I have, right? So think about it this way. Is there a reality that we're living in a culture today where you compare your looks to other people, women? Is that a, right? Like, you look at other women and you try to, compete by comparing, like this is what they have, this is what I want. Is that one relevant? 
right? So yeah, so, you, so there is this like, this is the way other people look, so I'm gonna go to extreme efforts to be able to, to look like that because you're looking at somebody else and you're comparing yourself to them. And so you do things or you focus on things. Again, not to, it's not a bad thing to wanna look okay, right? It's not a bad thing to take care of yourself, but when that gets out of order, does that make sense? When it gets out of order is where we start seeing things that, that go uh, in the wrong direction. Because here's what happens when, when you have this race for the veneer and you, you see, because remember what we said earlier, before when you're comparing your looks to somebody else, it was actually real people. You know what I mean? Like they were physical people that you could look at. I think today our young women are looking at fake people on social media all the time. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I don't know anything about this, but I think that this is true. Like they have filters for that reason, right? And so girls are out there comparing themselves to fake, right? Like they're looking at these things and, and they could say, well, we know that they're fake. Then why do you keep looking at them? Right? Why do you keep comparing? Why do you keep going down those roads? Because inherently inside of us, there is this like finding your identity and looking the right way. And if you don't look the right way, you covet that, right? Like you covet that acceptance. You covet, you know, that, that people notice you, right? That's what you want. So that's why you try to keep up. True? And that's why we're living in a world today where there's this struggle. When you're trying to keep up and you're coveting, you know, it leads to more than just the problems that we have today. Because you know who some of the, the meanest people that I've ever met in my life? Middle school girls. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. You know how it said you covet, you know, and then because you covet, you know, you have the desires, and then you covet, and then if you covet, it leads to you killing them, right? And you're thinking, oh, it's not killing. Have you ever listened to what middle school girls say to each other? They're mean, right? Like, I'm thinking, here's how guys do it. Guys size each other up, beat the tar out of each other, and they're friends again, right? No big deal. We're good. Girls are like masters of killing people with their words, Right? Like they're just masters at it because you see when you go down this road of your desires get out of order and you start to covet, you will try to tear a person down to your level or where you can be elevated above that person. And in the guys, we just try to beat them up. With girls, you try to tear them down with your words, right? You try to move into those places. That's how you get it done and that's why it can be such a huge problem. Here's the other one. You compare your husband, your marriage, and your life. Now, think about this for a second, because we're going to put it back into perspective. So ladies tend to have this fantasizing problem, right? Like when their husband isn't the way that they're supposed to be, they're fantasizing about the one that could be. None of the ladies are like, you're a bunch of liars. I've heard this before. I've heard this. You're not physically going out and having an affair. You're mentally having one, right? You're mentally like, oh, I got him, but if I could have him, right? The same thing, like you're out there, you're coveting, right? Something else, you're fantasizing about that. It looks like the same concept, like when it comes to your marriage, like I wish we could be like that couple, or even in today, this is what I always said. You know what the other huge problem with social media is? Your wife can know where everybody's going on vacation. Because then she sits there and is like, well, guess who just went where? Okay, just say it. Just say it. Just say, okay, and I'm the loser who never takes you on vacation. Right? Like, that's what's happening, right? When they're scrolling through going, boy, they were just there. It'd be so beautiful. I wonder what that's like. Anybody, right? Like there's this comparison of we're watching everybody do something and we're wishing that our husband would do it, right? Because here's how fantasy works. So fantasy happens and when you fantasize, it leads to coveting and when you lead to coveting, it goes to quarrels. That's what James says, okay? Because here's what I want you to hear, ladies. 
So when you're looking at your husband, I'm going to give you a little insight, and I've given it to you every week, but I'll give it to you again. Here's the idea. You think that the way to fix your husband is to tell him how much you wish you had something else or he was like something else, but that doesn't work because you know what it leads to? Quarrels. Do you know what I mean? When you come home and you're like, hey, you know, I saw somebody else and, you know, when he, I saw that these are the things that he did and, you know, I just wish, you know, I just wish you were, they don't say this, but this is what they're real. I wish you were like him. And you know what every guy's saying? Is there anything I do right? Any guy in here that want to support me? Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, all I get it. I know. I know I'm not him. Thank you. Like, I know that. I'm not good at the things that he was good at. I'm not, you know, I can't do the things that he does. But there, is there anything that I do that's good? Because you could remind me of that. Because when you talk about all the things that you're going to, that I'm not doing right, it's going to lead to quarrels. And pretty soon, we're going to talk to you about what Scripture says, what it's like to live with a quarrelsome, nagging wife. Right, because this is what happens, right, is, is that it leads to, when you're sitting there and wishing your marriage was something else instead of working on it and getting it to be what both of you want, when you talk about those things, it leads to quarrels. When you sit there and remind your husband that you don't have the life that you want and the life that everybody else is living and that you're watching, it leads to quarrels, right? And in Scripture, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and I'm going to give you, you know, what Scripture says about having a quarrelsome home or what that looks like? Because here's what I want you to hear, ladies. I know, I know that this is what you believe. You think if you remind us of what we aren't, that we'll become what you want us to be. I know that's what you think. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not true. It's not true. In fact, I would say most men would agree with what scripture says in our response to not being good enough. And when I say not being good enough, that's when you get, that's the quarrelsome part that scripture's talking about. Fantasy that leads to covet or covenants, desires, wrong desires that lead to coveting, coveting that leads to killing, killing that leads to quarrel, right? Like that's what it's talking about in James. That in this, this is what he was talking about. A man, when, when it's the, this disordered desire happens and you find your identity by comparing yourself to other people, things go wrong in the home, okay? Here's what scripture says. This is Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish child is a father's ruin. That's for another day when we're talking about kids. But it goes on and says, and a quarrelsome wife is like uh, the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Now, let me put it in maybe... You don't have a leaky roof. Anybody ever seen somebody be waterboarded? They like lay them down and put burlap over their face and keep pouring water in it until they're like choking. Yes. That's what it's like to live with a quarrelsome wife. That good? That give a little bit of a picture, right? Yeah, so here's the, here's the next one, 2119. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, here's what I want you to see, because that seems kind of funny, but I'll bet you if you are a wife that has tension inside of the home, right, here's what you're going to already know about your husband. Do you know why he spends so much time in the garage? Do you know why he spends so much time at work? Do you know why he tries to keep himself busy outside of this environment because the natural nature of a man is to not live in the quarrel the natural nature of a man escape to the roof right in fact it even says in scripture this is the next one proverbs 21 19 better to live in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome nagging wife now think about that do you know what happens in the desert Do you know what's in the desert? <laughs> Nothing. You're dying. There's no water. There's no food. Your flesh is going to be burnt off. Like all these things are going to happen. And 
The writer of Proverbs says, well, that's way better than being in the house with a nagging wife. Now, it seems funny, but I want you to understand this is absolutely true. The response of a man when this disordered desire gets mixed up, that when that desire gets mixed up, what will happen inside of your relationships, whether it is with your children or whether it is with your husband, the escape is gone. Like they're gone. They don't wanna be in this room. They don't wanna be in this house. They don't wanna be around those things. Like, so my challenge to you is we're getting ready to take communion. And when we take communion, one of the things that we do is we take an opportunity to reflect before we take communion because the reminder is this, you and your life, right? Christ died so that you could have the power to live out your design, right? He died on a cross so you could live out the design that God has called you to live out. And so when we reflect, we're reflecting on this idea that he sacrificed a lot for each one of us. And because of that, we do have the power to change. So I want you to, I want to challenge you ladies with one thing, okay? I'm actually going to give you two, but one that I think is going to be a big challenge. You know how I said in the beginning, the only way this is going to work is if you find your identity in Christ. Do you remember that from the beginning? So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Spend as much time in the word of God, seeking your identity through Christ as you do on your phone this week. Just replace it for one week. Every time you go to pick up your phone to do something that's useless, I guess useless, like that would be social media in my opinion, useless. Pick up the Bible, seek your identity in the Lord. Just do it for one week, right? And see what God will do inside of your heart. The other thing is, you know, and this is more abstract, but I want you to think about this. I think you should ask yourself the hard question. Are you okay with the way that God designed you? Are you okay that God made you a certain way and that if you operate out of that way, that it'll be absolutely beautiful? So think on those two things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to gather. We thank you for the ability to be able to come together and um, celebrate the design of women, but also bring the awareness of what the hurdles are. So I pray, Lord, that uh, for the women in the room, that they will first seek their identity in you. They will find... Um, their identity solely in you, Lord, but then also through the design that you've given them. Lord, I pray that we as a people of God will go back to the beginning and try to get this right, Lord, because we want to we see a revival. We want to be in the battle. We want to try to change things in this world today. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.